It's a good song that calls us to trust more in God. You hear the story of Peter walking on the waves, going to Jesus, trusting that he could do something that in any other way is impossible. Psalmists express so many different emotions and describe so many different situations. One that came to mind this week in this study was Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But what happens when the evil people don't just fade away? What happens when the, the wicked people don't die away like the green grass? When they stick around for a long time and they continue to do evil? Well, preacher, that's what we're supposed to pray for them. Mm -hmm. Can I pray that they wither away like grass? I mean, is that possible? And what do I do when I trust in the Lord and I do good and I don't enjoy safe pasture? What's going on? If you've ever thought those are the kind of questions I want to ask the Lord when I get to heaven, well, you keep, you keep doing that because... The goal is to be with God, and then even if you forget all those questions, who cares you're there? But we can also ask those questions now. See, and, and the people didn't wait to ask Jesus. And, and here's the thing. Like this series says, we're in the end game. We are in God's end game in history. There's, there's nothing else that comes next except his return. I mean, we are down to the last bullet point of God's plan. But we're stuck in that in-between time right there, between the resurrection and the exaltation and his rule and his reign. And he says, I'm coming back, and we're going to work all this out. Great. When? Don't worry about that. Just stay faithful. And I'm going to tell you, it's not always easy living on that blue line right there between the resurrection and the return. But Jesus is coaching us up. And the other thing I want you to hear is that this isn't just a, you know, a waiting room where we're supposed to be careful and not get our good Sunday clothes dirty. Stay out of trouble. Uh, there's something to do. There's a mission. There's a purpose. And then you ask those questions, like the Psalm 37 question. But what do I do when this world in between? I mean, Jesus won on the cross. So there's things that happen that they shouldn't happen if Jesus won, but they do. Well, the people of Jesus' day weren't afraid to ask Jesus a question like that. Because they looked at the world around them through the lens of Psalm 37 or Psalm 73 even. And many other passages. 
God's righteous people are supposed to be protected. The evil people aren't supposed to win. We're back in the land. What's going on here? Jesus is a teacher. Let's go ask the teacher. And so they ask him this, some of those who were there. And by the way, they bring up current events, their current events. It's in the news, they say. You heard about it. What about those Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices? What that means is there were Galilean people. They're, they're, they're at worship. They're honoring God. And Pilate comes in and kills them in the midst of worship. We hear reports of church shootings. They had an action against them from the government. So they asked Jesus about that. What about that? And Jesus answers their question. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in in Salome fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And here Jesus shows them that He knows the news as well. And he brings it a little closer to home. He says, let's talk about Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the holy city. There's that tower that fell over in Siloam. Eighteen people died. Were they more guilty than everyone else in Jerusalem? Jesus says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told them a parable. And I think he's telling them this parable to tell them what's really going on. The parables always open up a window so we can see what's going on in heaven, so that we can see what God is up to. He tells them this parable and invites them to look in. There's a man. man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went out to look for fruit on it. A fig. But he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of his vineyard, Now, for three years, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the caretaker replied, leave it alone for just one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. You know, sometimes I've told stories that kind of leave on a cliffhanger like this one. And you, you, some of you get on to me and you say, hey, you told that story, but you didn't finish it. Well, Jesus does the same thing. Don't you want to know what happened to the fig tree? He knew what he was doing. He leaves us there because we realize, ah, we're the fig tree. We're the fig tree. I wonder if we're, what, are, we, are we going to bear fruit? There's three items that come up in this in-game teaching of Jesus where he's teaching us what it's like to live here in this final phase of God's plan. The first one is the question of judgment. When people suffer evil, like 
those folks in Galilee, Pilate mixed their own blood with the blood of their sacrifices. You know, when that happens, they're asking Jesus, does that mean that God is judging them? 17 years ago, when terrorists ran two planes into the World Trade Center, I remember that thereafter, so-called religious experts were going around everywhere saying, see, God is doing this to judge America. You can't say that. That goes too far. I do believe that God signs His name to His work. You do not have to guess. And I will not say that whatever happens is God's judgment as if He's angry. No. But that's the question. I mean, what about, uh, what about when towers fall? I mean... One is the intent of a harsh man of Pilate, but the tower falling, who, who's responsible for that? Do you blame the architect? Do you blame the soil? Do you blame the earth, the foundation? I mean, when these things happen, because the real question that we want to know, that they wanted to know is, is this God judging people? Did those people, the 18 that died in Siloam, why did they die? What did they do? What is God trying to teach us? Because this happened to them. What's going on here? They're asking a question that we ask. Is this the judgment of God? Maybe you've been carrying around a question for years, wondering, how is this the judgment of God, and why did God do that? Why, did, why does this happen to this person? How is that possible? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And maybe sometimes we're told it's inappropriate to say that to God. Well, here's a group of people asking Jesus. Jesus, you want to explain this? I mean, are the, are the right people suffering? And are the right people being protected? We read Psalm 37. Well, the cross, which is the core of our faith, that, that plan of God. We say the resurrection, but... but I'm going to tell you something about a resurrection. You can't have a resurrection unless you have what? A death. You don't resurrect the living. You resurrect the dead. And the death of Jesus is not the way it's supposed to be. We say it's God's will. We say that it's God's plan. Right? But it's not fair. It's not just. God redeems it and uses it to carry out His purposes. But on the cross, you see the one who does not deserve such shame and suffering endure shame and suffering. Not because that's anything that He wanted, but because the cross is a way of blaring out and proclaiming to the world that no, without God, Without, meaning if we are without God, this is the sort of injustice and suffering that happens. But God's going to turn it around. He's going to redeem it. The cross says that not every bad thing that happens is necessarily the judgment of God. So I guess I could go back to Jesus like the people and I could say, well, then how am I supposed to know the difference? How am I supposed to know that this act is the judgment of God because everybody says to me, what's God trying to teach you? 
And then that this act over here is just random. How am I supposed to know the difference? Jesus says we're asking the wrong question. He said, I understand your question, but it's the wrong question. Jesus is telling us that it's very hard to give a biblical answer to an unbiblical question. And I've realized that in my own life. I've realized that in talking with others. Now, I want you to understand, an unbiblical question does not mean that it's a bad question or a question you shouldn't ask. It doesn't mean that you're uh, going to hell because you ask an unbiblical question. It just means that the question is not the right question or the best question to be asking. And sometimes what God's Word does is it doesn't give us all the answers. It helps us to ask better questions. Questions that cause us to see more of who God is, His character, and His Spirit. Jesus says, well, you know, look, I know what's behind your question. You're asking me, did those people deserve what they got? He said, do you think that they're worse sinners than everybody else? No. Jesus says that the better question is, are we all going to die? Yes. Whether we die of old age you know, uh, what, happy and full of years, as the Bible says, uh, or whether a tower falls or Pilate mixes our blood with the blood of the sacrifices, if it's unnatural or natural or whatever you want to call it. I mean, we talk about natural causes, but we, we don't ignore the fact that every human being is going to die. Unless Christ comes back, everyone's going to die. And then the follow-up question to that is, okay, so then do we need to repent? Yeah. Now, repent is a churchy word, okay? And I, I, I'm, uh, I'm on a mission to, to, uh, to rehabilitate churchy words. Because I, I fully believe that when, when the church was forming and in those early days when the, the, the people of Israel were bringing the Gentiles in and they were all worshipers in Jesus Christ, I think they had their churchy words too. Of course, their churchy words were more um, uh, Hebrew nation, Israelite words. And so they would say, oh, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And you know you had Gentiles in there going, what's a Messiah? What, what are we talking about? You know, ah, it just means Lord. Oh, okay, he's king. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Boy, and they changed up a lot of things. And you know, they thought of themselves as Israel. They thought of themselves as God's people. Then later on, you've got so many Gentiles out of Antioch, and they're saying, well, well what are you? Because you're not children of Abraham. You're not, you're not the children of Abraham, the Israelites. You're not the Nazarenes. You're not part of that Jewish heritage that's decided to follow Jesus. What exactly are you? Well, we follow Christ. We're kind of like his little children. Oh, so you're like little Christ followers. You're Christians. Yeah, we're Christians. That's it. Good name. It might just stick, and it dies. So I'm on this mission to rehabilitate church words, and repent is one of those. Every time you say repent, and you've got to say it like that, repent. You think of the guy with the sign, and he's got the huge beard, you know, and he hasn't taken a bath in months. Repent, for the end is near. Ah, you know, we're like, here, here comes another one. Yeah, it's what we do. We blow them off. It's kind of like, oh boy, you know you got to respect that fella, you know? I mean, he's committed to his craft. He's got, I mean, he hasn't bathed in months. He's got the sign. 
You know, he's probably poor. Do you know how long it's taken him to make that sign? I mean, and he's out there. Now it seems like the narrative has all changed, you know, but, but, but he's out there. He's, 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 uh, he's, he's telling people to repent. And it's kind of sad and tragic now because most people don't even know what repent is. They even mispronounce it. Repent? What's a repent? I haven't even pented. If I haven't pented, how am I going to repent? <sighs> repent means to turn around. It means to change. It means you just went the wrong direction. Turn around. Okay. It means you're going the wrong direction. The best preachers of repent are GPSs. Because if you get that wrong, you'll drive it crazy. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Like, no, I know a shortcut. Make a U-turn. No, I know a shortcut. I don't even take directions from my GPS. I just keep driving. I figure at some point I'm going to get there even if I have to go around the world. Repent means a U-turn. Jesus says if if we don't all make a U-turn, then we're going to perish. If we haven't repented and, and restored this relationship with God, then yeah, it's really... I mean, we could live uh, 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 just a pleasant old life for a hundred years or more. But if we haven't taken care of that relationship with God, then, then what do you think is going to happen is what Jesus asks. And really his re-questioning to get us off that other question about judgment and to get us on to the question about repentance, Jesus' purpose in that is to say, look, leave the judgment thing to God. God knows what he's doing. What good is it going to do you to say, oh, God's judging me. I know he is because I did this. Well, just assume for a second that's true. What are you going to do? Well, I'm never going to do it again. Okay, but what if you do something else? Is, I mean, we're asking, is God so unpredictable? Is he so explosive? That the second he catches us doing something wrong, he's going to smack us down, strike us with a plague. And when we're used to dealing with people who can be that capricious and that, that um, unpredictable, when we're used to that, then we think God's that way too. Jesus is getting us off that question because he says, you know, no, no, you, you need to repent. You need to turn around. That path isn't going to get you to the right question. The better question is, do you need to have a right relationship, a good relationship with God? Because he's your creator. He's your savior. So that's what everyone needs. He gets us onto this repentance question. And then to cap it off, he said, so remember what he's saying here. He's saying, let's let's move away from the judgment question because that's God's business. He knows what he's doing. And when he does finally judge, yes, when God judges everything, all evil is going to be eliminated. All evil is going to be wiped out. And righteousness will stand when Christ returns. That's the next phase of the plan. In the meanwhile, you leave the judgment thing to God. Let the repentance question be your question. Do I need to repent? Do I know others that need to repent? Maybe I can help them repent 
by me repenting. You know, some of, we think that repentance is kind of a one-time thing. You know, we show up somewhere, we get all emotional. Yeah, I was at a gospel meeting, I repented, woo! Okay, now what? Well, I don't know, it was a good repent moment. Now I'm just going to go off and, you know, live a life and stay out of trouble. Repentance is a daily thing. <laughs> repentance is a momentary thing. I mean, you, 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 don't, you, don't get, you don't get credit for having repented once, and then you keep misbehaving from that point on. Well, I'm a Christian. I got baptized. I got saved. Why do you keep yelling at the servers at the restaurant? Well, they need to repent too. You know, so. At least I got saved. I got saved. I know better. If everybody would just listen to every word that I preach, then everything would just be fine. Do you understand that? Yeah, well, then why are you yelling at everybody? I don't know. I've repented. They need to. That doesn't make sense. We're always repenting because I'm always wanting to get to know my Creator and my Savior better, and He's schooling me. He's teaching me. Why is it that only when something bad happens do we say, what do you think God is trying to teach you? Does God only show up to teach and then everything falls apart? I'm going to say to you today, like Jesus was saying to them, right now, right here, this moment, this day, what is God trying to teach you? Because he's always trying to teach us. He's always coaching us on how to live our lives better than what we're capable of. So to kind of just put his signature on it, Jesus tells him a parable. It's about a man with a fig tree. Why does a man plant a fig tree? Because it's what he bought down at the garden center? No. Because he wants figs. He, he has a fig newton farm, and he needs figs. That's product. That's food. This is not some ornamental tree. This is not just something to look pretty. This is food. He wants figs. Three years now he's been going to this tree. No figs. What's the point? Well, the little guy shows up in the story, the caretaker, and he says, let's give it one more year. Maybe it takes one more year and the figs will, will show up. Okay. Give it a chance, an opportunity. I'm going to hold back on destroying a, a, tr- a tree. And see if the figs come forth. Now, see, everybody at this point, if we go allegory, we're trying to figure it out. Okay, so the tree owner, that's God. I'm the tree. Jesus is the man that takes care of it, right? Right? Well, I don't know. The guy who's taking care of the tree, he might be God. Maybe the one that wants to destroy. Well, no, wait, that's still God. See, it doesn't matter. God is both the one. Uh, wanting to cut the tree down and the one who's going to save the tree. He's both. You don't have to take it too far. God is more than just a tree owner, too. He's just the care, He's more than the caretaker of the vineyard. God is giving us, this is what's called grace, an opportunity, an allowance, a provision. The tree in the story got grace. Yeah, let's give it a chance to bear fruit. Let's see what happens. Let's see if the tree will mature. Let's see if the tree will grow. Yeah, let it bear fruit. And God is giving us His grace, and it's an opportunity for us to bear fruit. 
Don't you love the way that Jesus took us from our anxious focus on judgment, on how God is judging me or how others are judging me or how I'm judging myself, and he moves us to say, listen, judgment's already been dealt with. That's all the part of the plan that's already happened. What you've got now between the resurrection and the return is an opportunity. You've got an opportunity. You've got God's grace. Now, the question for us then is, what's that grace going to look like among us? How's it going to produce fruit? Grace is so much more than you sinned, you did bad, everybody flunked the test, but I'm a benevolent teacher. Everybody gets an A-plus today. Woohoo! yay! Grace is an opportunity that says, you know what? We're going to delay the final exam. We're going to move the final exam off into the future. In fact, I tell you what, we're not even going to make it an exam. We're not even going to make it a test. It's not even up to you. We got this taken care of, all right? But here's what it is for me and you is, do you and I understand the course? Do we understand what we're being called to? Can you live it out? This is much more serious than some written exam. It's much more than that. And you understand, too, that the judgment of God after the return is not some huge cosmic spiritual final exam that you've got to pass. It's now. It's that opportunity of grace right now that God has given you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to bear fruit? I don't know if I can. Well, you probably can't. But what can God do in you? Because he'll take care of it. Well, would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would give us, right now in this phase, the end game. We know you've got it figured out. You've got the strategy. But right now in our lives, I pray that your grace would be at work in us. We know it's sufficient for us. We ask that you would help us to focus on that and not judgment so that with grace we can repent, we can turn around. And Father, let us all do as your Son teaches us to repent so that no one has to perish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus made it real simple. He said, if you... Don't repent, you'll perish. And Jesus is not wanting anyone to perish. John chapter 3 says he doesn't want that for anybody. That's not his will. So are, are you going to give your will to God? Are you going to give your will to Christ? Are you going to be able to submit yourself? Now, maybe you've done that in baptism, but maybe you need to do it today. Or maybe you haven't been baptized, and maybe that's what you need to do today. Or maybe you just need to talk to somebody about this. A couple of our shepherds are going to come up here. They're available to you. They're available back there. Let's all stand. Let's all sing. And then maybe today around lunch you need to talk to somebody. But let's all go to lunch after our closing prayer.